Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can go to traincpe.org, or you can follow all the links at our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. On the day of Pentecost, when the Lord Jesus poured out the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the young church in Jerusalem, they went out immediately into the city under the power of that baptism. Those looking on were amazed and questioning, and they concluded that all of them were drunk. Now, the question is, what is the impact of the Spirit's baptism that looks like inebriation? And is this a good thing? I want that myself. I want that myself. I can think of the very first time that I actually had that thought go through my head. It was when I was three or four years old. Our family was camping and setting up camp on our way down from where we lived in Pickle, Ohio, going down to visit grandparents in Florida. My brother at the campsite had gone around and gathered some sticks and some pine needles and with a match that my father had given them, he was five years older than I, He had started a little fire in the fire pit, and Dad had called my mother over to marvel at the wonder of this accomplishment. Look what John has done. John has started this wonderful fire for all of us, and of course, I could see my brother's chest puffing up, and I thought to myself, I want that myself. I want to build a fire. I want to build a better fire than he did. It may, at that time, been just sibling rivalry, but there was also something about the ability of doing something significant with your life, and at that time, that seemed pretty significant to me, starting a fire, and the rest of my life has kind of been like that to some extent. There have been individuals who've come in my life whose example and the way they live their life in circumstances and situations have inspired a desire in me to say, I want that for myself. I desire to have that for myself. And now we are looking at this passage in Acts chapter 2, and the story that we're reading about in Acts chapter 2 is this moment in which the Lord Jesus pours out the gift or the baptism of his Holy Spirit upon the church. This is something that he promised to his disciples, this intimate gathering of disciples that had been with him during the Last Supper. After he dismissed Judas and Judas went off to betray him, the Lord Jesus turned to his disciples, and you'll see this in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. The Lord Jesus began to teach them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming in baptism upon their lives. The Holy Spirit would come and he would pour out upon them the experience of his own presence drawing in upon them and being near them. Jesus said, I'm leaving you, I'm departing from you, but I'll be with you. I'm going where you cannot go, but I'm going to come to you, and I'll be with you, and I'll be in you. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit who came to bring the very presence of Christ to them. And then after he had died and risen from the dead, the Lord Jesus gathered together others than just this initial band of disciples, others who had come to follow him and he revealed to the broader company of the saints at that time that he was still planning on pouring out the spirit again he made this promise he renewed this promise again but now he spoke of it not merely as his presence coming upon them but as power that would come upon them and that they would be anointed with power in order to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to those they went before and now that time has come it's Acts chapter 2 And these individuals have gathered together. They've tarried in Jerusalem waiting for this promise that Jesus gave them of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they're waiting for that moment. Now, we have emphasized that this is something more than regeneration. This is something more than the new birth. 
We've pointed out that you had experiences of the new birth in the Old Testament. And you had individuals at that time who were regenerated and out of that regenerative life, they believed in God and they trusted in God and they lived a faithful life before God. This is something that's going beyond this. Now at the focus of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of the one they had walked with and talked with and touched and held and rested upon and listened to. And, and now he was going to come and he was going to renew his intimate fellowship with them. And he was going to bring to them the remembrance of his words and his truth. And he was going to speak them over again to them. And out of this intimate relationship and out of the pouring forth of his words into their heart, they were going to be able to give witness with power to the world around them. And that moment came and they were baptized on that day with the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage and what we really want to do is we want to look at this passage and we've, we've talked about these other things about what was promised and the experience that was promised but what I want to understand this morning is what happens to a person when they experience this baptism. What happens when they have this intensified experience of the presence of the Lord Jesus setting up within their lives? What happens to an individual when they have this intensified outpouring of the power of the Lord Jesus? How does this experience register in that individual when this happens, when the Spirit baptizes them and immerses them with himself? And there's the language, by the way, baptism. It's the outpouring of something upon them or anointing. It's the overflow of oil that comes upon them. Another way in which it's referred to in the Bible is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this something that overflows their life. And what does that look like? How does that register in a person's life? What do we see in a person's life when that's happening? What does it produce in them? How does it mark them in their way forward? How does this experience express itself from their lives? And the reason I want to know this is I want to know if I've experienced that. I want to see, oh, yes, I can identify with that. And I want to know it because I want to know if, if I'm experiencing it now. And I want to know it because I want to know it so that I can mark my life and say, oh God, do that again. One of the things you'll find about these disciples in the early church is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and it wasn't the last time they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He came upon them again and again with this baptism, with this outpouring, with this anointing. And we want to know it so that identifying it, hopefully our response will be, oh, I want that myself. I want that for myself. It actually seems clear to me that the testimonies that Paul gives from his life as he shares the experience of his ministry and that you see Peter sharing as well and other disciples as their stories are gathered together like the chroniclers like, like Luke in the book of Acts and he shares with us the events and the stories of what was happening in the life of the early believers. I think it's all there for a reason. We're to learn from it. We're to see it and we're not to say, well, that's very fascinating, this historical event that took place. But of course, we're beyond all those things now. I, I don't think so. I think we're supposed to read it and we're supposed to say, I, I want that for myself. I think it's supposed to inspire some desire in us for the same experience. Just the other day, I was talking to somebody who shared with me a story of riding on a crowded city bus in a major city in the United States. A woman got on the bus, looked like a cleaning lady, but something about her mannerism as she got on the bus changed the very nature of the bus. There was a light that came on when she came on the bus. The bus was full. They couldn't see her very well, but... Something about her was glowing in her countenance and the way in which she had exchanges with the bus driver and the people that were standing there that she made her place to stand or sit within the bus. And they looked at them and they thought to themselves, I, I'll bet that that, is, that lady is a Christian. And then as they were on the bus, the, the lady shifted just enough so that they could see 
on the lapel of her shirt a little button that said, Jesus saves. And the thought that came to their minds was, I want my life to say Jesus saves. I want that myself. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about some encounter or experience of the life of Christ that changes how our life is presented before others. What other people see and what we see in ourselves. When the Spirit baptized these first Christians, how did it mark them? And how did that marking of the Spirit resonate before others? What did they see? Because it should be something that we might want the Spirit to do for us as well. Now, if you're in the book of Acts, and I want you to stay there at Acts chapter 2. I want to read you verses 12 and 13, because I think verses 12 and 13 give a clue to the very question we're asking. How did this register? How did it mark itself? And it registers in the response or the observation of those who are watching and witnessing this event take place. As the early church is poured out upon and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have those people who are witnessing, explaining exactly what they're seeing, and it's a clue for us. It says here in verse 12, So they were all amazed and perplexed, And saying to one another, that is, they were inquiring together, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. So they're puzzled, or they're amazed, they're puzzled, they inquire, and then they conclude. They gather together a conclusion. They see something that somehow amazes them and puzzles them, and then they ask about it, and then they draw together some conclusion of what it is that they're seeing, what it is that it looks like. And and what they conclude is that, well, this person who is filled with the Holy Spirit because that's what's taken place. They don't know that. This person looks like they're intoxicated. They look like they're drunk. That's what they're observing. And I want you to see what Peter's response is. Peter speaks to give a defense to this in verses 14 and 15. And this is what Peter says. He answers their amazement, their perplexity, their inquiry, and he challenges their conclusion by saying this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which means basically it's only nine o'clock in the morning. By the way, I understand that the tradition of Jews was they had their breakfast at 10 a.m., basically saying, we haven't even had breakfast yet. But what I want you to see here is, because I think this is interesting, it really is kind of a weak defense for drunkenness. It really is. He's he's not saying, look, they're not behaving like they're inebriated. I know that the behavior you see here might lead to this conclusion, but I just want you to know what you're seeing and what you're concluding are two different things. You're concluding they're drunk. Okay, granted, that may be what you're seeing. But I just want you to know it's too early in the morning for that to be the case. You're drawing the wrong conclusion. There's another thing that's happened here that makes you see these things. And what Peter didn't say was, I promise you that we are not drunk. Now, everybody, everybody, I want you, let's walk a straight line for these folks. Everybody take your index finger, touch the tip of your nose. and show, Everybody quote the alphabet here and make sure that everybody knows we're not drunk. It's, no, he's, in a sense, Peter is conceding that they're observing something that looks like intoxication. He's ex- conceding it to them. He's just saying... You're drawing the wrong conclusion. It's too early in the morning for that to be the reason for and that to be the answer for what you're seeing. Let me explain to you what's causing these things. Let me explain to you why it is that you're seeing what you're seeing and you're drawing this somewhat rude conclusion. These individuals have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's just kind of make this our our primary or central observation. 
They saw something that looked like to them like intoxication. They saw an effusiveness about these individuals. Think of what was it that they saw that looked like intoxication. Let's make this to be, in a sense, the general or core explanation of what happens with a person or how a person who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit presents themselves to others who might not know exactly what it is. There is an effusiveness about that individual. There is an uninhibitedness about them. There's an open-heartedness that comes upon them. I would say, if we were going to write that down, the individual who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit presents a generosity of heart. The heart opens up, and they're generous, and it's free-flowing. Why is it that a person drinks? I'm not exactly sure, but I think one of the reasons is that they're seeking to loosen up their inhibitions. They're trying to get them in a situation where they can relax in social settings or where they can relax in their own homes. They're trying to do something so that they're a little less guarded so that they can feel a little bit less tight, they can feel a little bit more loose. And when a person becomes inebriated with alcohol, they don't have the ability to guard their tongues as they did before. They don't have the ability to keep their secrets the way they did. Their life begins to be poured out in such a way that, well, the Bible calls it a dissipation. They just kind of pour themselves all over the place. It's called a waste. But this unhibitedness is a mark of the spirit-baptized Christian. They were freely speaking without any inhibition. There was no guardedness of self-protection or self-posturing. All that was in their hearts at that moment was openly and freely flowing from their hearts to all those who were around. And, and in this case, it was all good stuff. It was all good things. It was all meant to be seen by these others. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.